so much, Michelle. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to be back with you guys. It's been eight years, we figured. Eight years since the last time I was here. And um, my husband and I, we were. We were church planting a church called The Fringe in Mason. And many of you guys just generously gave to help us get our church off the ground, God's church off the ground. And, um, I, you know, we sent thank you notes, but thank you notes don't really cut it. And so I'm glad to be back to thank you in person because our ministry would not have been possible without the generosity you first showed us. And so I, I'm trying not to cheer up, but that is true. And um, so I thank you very much. And I just encourage you to continue to be generous, um, to reach out to people in your own community and other church plants that come around just to continue to give, to expand God's kingdom. Because just so you know, um, we are still a Mason. We are still the same church. We have a different name now. We're Lifestream. We jo- partnered with um, a larger Wesleyan church to become a campus for them. And that allowed us to have a facility. Yay! Um, for six years, we were in a different location like every few weeks, um, which makes it hard for people to find you. And so we, ha- we have a place that we rent now every Sunday, and we're able to use it during the week too. We actually share it with another church. Um, and it's just working phenomenally well, so we're very excited. But just um, two weeks ago, someone, a guy named Steve, got saved and baptized. And um, that is part of your fruit. And there are many other stories like that I could tell you, but I just want to let you know that your investment has borne fruit. Um, and, and be praying for Steve. He's a baby Christian. Um, he's got a rough life. And his wife is um, pursuing a divorce. He does not want to. So you can be praying for him and praying for their precious girls. He wants to bring them to church. She's not allowing it at this point in time. But, you know, we're praying and hoping for the best. But every week, Steve meets for discipleship. Every week, he's showing up to church. He wants to help and serve any way he can. He sets up chairs and tears down afterwards. And he's in the front row with his Bible and note taken. I am so hungry. He's so hungry for God, and um, he's just one of many that have been brought into the kingdom of God and into a right relationship with God because of your investment, and so I thank you for that. Um, today, I want, the name of the sermon is Buckle Up, or, oh, I'm not even going to be able to, they will appear here and here, won't they? Not behind me. Okay. I am getting my bearings. All right, so the name of the sermon is Buckle Up, and we're going to look at probably a scripture passage you've heard before. It's pretty well known. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. And this is on the armor of God. Now, I have to confess, when I was a kid growing up and we learned about the armor of God in Sunday school, it just was like this really abstract thing that didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't know if you have felt that way, but as we read through this, maybe you'll understand a little bit what I'm talking about. Okay, so Ephesians 6, starting in chapter, yeah, starting with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of dark, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. With a breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Which with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And pray... In the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people will you pray with me right now Heavenly Father I thank you for your word that gives us insight that speaks truth I pray you give us insight into this passage now I pray your Holy Spirit open our hearts and our minds to see how we can learn and how we can put on your spiritual armor in Jesus' name we pray amen so yeah I was told that this was a really important part of scripture it was really good to know and I was just like okay it must be important for some reason but I mean, how do I put on the helmet of salvation and fit my feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? I mean, this is pretty abstract, isn't it? Um, but the more I have learned about it and the more I have learned to apply it in my life, the more spiritual breakthrough I have seen. And now we're not going to unpack all of it today. We're going to start with the very first piece of the armor, which is the belt of truth. The very first one, I think it's probably the most important one. It holds everything else together, right? I mean, what do belts do? <laughs> right? Without the belt, everything falls down, right? And, and that's how it is with the spiritual armor. The belt of truth is the one that holds everything else in place. If we don't have truth, then it doesn't matter if we have the breastplate of righteousness or our feet are fitted with peace or whatever. It's all going to fall. It's going to fall apart. Truth is the one that holds them all together. Why? Okay, first of all, what this passage says is that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Did you catch that? It says it's not against flesh and blood. When the Bible talks about flesh and blood, it's talking about this. Human, right? We're made of flesh and blood. Our battle is not against other humans, is what it's saying. I think that is a message our world needs to hear right now. Our enemy tricks us into fighting each other instead of fighting him. And he's the one we should be battling against. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness, of evil. That's what it says. And our enemy loves to stay hidden and trick us into fighting each other. So we fight our spouse, we fight our sibling, we fight family members, we fight co-workers, we complain about our bosses, we think they're the 
you know, cause of all of our problems or immigrants, or police, or people of other races, or, I mean, we could go on and on, Republicans, or those Democrats, or those government leader, they're the ones that are causing all the problems in our world. And the Bible says, no. Your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness in this world. They are the ones that are causing all the chaos behind the scenes. And if you want to win those battles, you have to address them. And you cannot address them and fight them in the way that humans fight. You must fight them in spiritual ways. And that's what the armor of God teaches us to do. And it starts with the belt of truth. If you have um, a different translation, it might say, gird your loins with truth. That's because back in those times, um, people would wear tunics, right? And tunics, you know, were great for breathability, but not so great for doing anything strenuous. So if you wanted to run or work in a field or go to battle, you had to gird up your loins. Loins are this part, and they would just tuck the tunic into their belts. And that would allow them to move and to fight and to do those things they need to do. And that's what Paul, as he writes the Ephesians, is talking about. He's like, guys, we're in a battle. You need to gird yourself up. You need to buckle up. Not just once in a while. Every day we need to do this. Why truth? Why truth? Our battle is against, not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world. Satan, the Bible tells us that Satan is the father of all. That's why truth. He's the father of all lies. He is not particularly powerful. He works by deception. If you think of the Garden of Eden, right? Satan, the deceiver, he appeared as a serpent and tricked Eve into eating the apple. How did he do that? Did he like wrap around her head and pry her mouth open and cram that apple in? Is that what he did? No. He didn't force her to eat that apple. He tricked her into eating the apple. And that's what he does with us. He doesn't force us. He doesn't come against us with power. He comes against us with deception and lies. He's the father of all lies. And that's why truth is the thing that holds all of our armor together. Because the only way you can fight against deception is with the truth. Now, what is truth? (laughs) Where do we get truth from? Truth is an objective standard of reality. All right? An objective standard of reality. Objective meaning it's outside of the circumstance that's going on. I have some friends here that I recruited to help with this. I don't know that they're too happy right now. Um, My daughter and I wasted three hours yesterday trying to catch a big butterfly. It didn't work. But the moths were much easier to catch. So we have some moths, and they're they're not um, really very active right now. But they're in there. And so, from the moth point of view, right? From the moth point of view, they are probably thinking, 
Um, my life, as I know, is over. Uh, the world has suddenly shrunk. I have no food. God must hate me. There is no hope for my life. Right? That's the reality right now. Truth is the objective standard from outside. So from outside of their reality, I can say, and I know, that they're in this jar for a very good reason right now. They've actually never been safer in their life. There are no predators, right? They're very, very safe. And if they persevere in a very short time, they will be free. Truth is the objective standard from outside of our reality. And therefore, God is the source of truth. Because he is not part of creation. Our reality is in the created world. If we want to know the truth of what's going on, we have to get it from someone outside of our created world. And that's God, who's the creator. He knows how this world was formed. He knows how it works. He knows how you were formed. How He knows how you were designed. He knows how you work. So he is the measure of, re- of reality. He is the measure of our truth. Now, as Christians, we often will say, yes, you know, I believe truth comes from God. He's my standard of truth. Until the going gets tough, huh? It's easy to say that when everything's working well. When when things aren't working well, we sometimes divert to other standards of truth. Like our emotions. That's a big one. Our emotions are good. God gives us emotions. You know, they help us connect with others. They are great indicators of how we are perceiving reality. But our perception of reality may or may not be correct. I um, remember in college, my emotions told me that a particular young man was like the best thing ever for me. And um, I wasted three years of my life on what was not a healthy relationship. Anyone else been there? Our emotions can deceive us. Yeah. Um, sometimes our emotions deceive us the other way. We're, we're, we're in a very good situation, but it's hard, and we need to persevere and keep at it. And our emotions are being like, oh, this is never going to work out. I need to cut and bait and run and do something else. Our emotions are not an objective standard of reality. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17.9 Let us not make our emotions our standard of truth. Another one is logic. Sometimes we make our logic our standard of truth. And once again, our intellect was given to us by God. It is a good thing, right? We, we can pay attention to what science and philosophy or all these other things say. We don't have to ignore those things. But let's just be honest. Like our level of smart compared to God's level of smart is really dumb. It just is. 
um, no matter how smart we are, we're just, we're not that smart in comparison with God. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? How many times have we humans been proved wrong in what we thought was true? It happens over and over again. You see, we're God's children. We're God's children. And um, some of you have children, and this has happened to you. All of us were children once, and we have done this, where we went to our parents, and we said, this is what I need to be able to do. You know, because, and I did that. I remember going to my dad when I was a teenager, and I'm like, I need to go to this party because everybody, all my friends are going to be at this party, and um, none of them have to go home until 1 a.m. in the morning. So I should not have to go home until 1 a.m. in the morning. And this is this is what I need. This is what's good for me. You know, and my dad's just like, you know. And I'm like, but all my friends think that 1 a.m. is a perfectly good bedtime. And my dad's like, I don't care what your friends think. <laughs> you know, like don't quote your friends, your 15-year-old friends to me like they know better than I know what's good for you. And that's what we do to God. We're God's children. And we go to God and we'll say, well, God, this is what I need. This is what will make me happy. This is, this is what is best for me. And everybody else think so too and and god is our parent and he's like don't quote your friends at me you know our logic is not an objective standard of truth and it is nothing in comparison to god's wisdom but the devil he tricks us into thinking we know the truth when we've actually believed lies. And these lies, get this, this is important. These lies become a demonic stronghold in our minds. Because Satan is the father of all lies. Not just some of them, all lies. And so when we believe a lie, it has a demonic origin. And it can become a stronghold in our minds. Second Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5. Can we have that up on the screen? I think a slide. There we go. For though we walk in the flesh, we're human, flesh and blood. We are not waging war according to the flesh, the way that humans do. For our for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, what are these strongholds? Um Huh, that was in my notes. It wasn't supposed to be on the slide. Casting down imaginations. That's what the King James Version says, okay? Casting down imaginations. If you have NIV, it's going to say, we destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. What are these strongholds that we are demolishing? They're all things up here, aren't they? Imaginations, arguments, Lofty opinions, every thought. They are strongholds of the mind that we are to demolish. 
We have to take the truth of God and stop, start knocking down demonic strongholds in our minds. So the question is, what are the lies you've believed? What are the lies that you have believed? There's many, many to choose from. I'm going to just talk about two. One of the lies that I see um, the devil tricking people with a lot lately is self-hatred of their body. Where you have young women who um, are starving themselves or men who are injecting steroids into their bodies um, or women who cut open their breasts and have saline bags put in or the one or those of us who aren't rich enough to do that but wish we could and um, people who hate their own bodies and so they take hormones to change because they think they're stuck in the wrong body people who are trying to change their skin color or eye color because they've been taught their ethnicity isn't beautiful it is so rampant self-hatred of our bodies Do you know what God says about your body? That it's his temple. It's his temple. How cunning of our enemy to make us think that our bodies aren't right and aren't worth dwelling in when God himself says that he wants to dwell in our bodies. He says that I have created you. I've knitted you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves your body. He wants the spirit to come and dwell inside of it. The spirit of the most high God. How wonderful. I mean, how amazing is your body? Another lie of the enemy is that we're alone and we're unloved. God says, no, I love you. I love you. I, I gave my son for you. Jesus died for you so you could be reconciled and in a right relationship with God. And his spirit wants to come and live inside you so you will never be alone. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior... God not only loves you, he's adopted you into his family. God is your father. You are his son or daughter. Jesus is your big brother. And the Holy Spirit lives in you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Spirit empowers you to do things immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. That's the truth. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. This is the same book of the Bible, just a little bit earlier. For this reason, I, it's Paul writing, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. That's because God is a family. Family comes from God. And he's adopted you into his. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you 
being rooted and, and established in love, will have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how deep and how long and high is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. My friends, when we study God's word and we read in the New Testament the promises of what God wants to do in our lives and in the transformation that the Holy Spirit affects in us, it is utterly amazing. It is so amazing. And we see it happen in his disciples. You have James and John who were called the sons of thunder. Because they were so harsh, they wanted to like call down fire from heaven to consume people of a different race than them. You know, they're not the nicest guys. And after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, John is known as the disciple of love for his great gentleness. It's amazing. We see Peter before the Holy Spirit. Man, Peter is kind of flaky. You know, he is like up and down and woohoo, you know, he's like all over the place. After he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he is so bold and consistent. We see before the Holy Spirit that the disciples, um, they put down women, they, they pushed aside children, they looked down on people from other races. After they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they sacrificed for those kind of people. It's amazing. And sometimes when we look at their lives and we look at how the New Testament describes Christians and we see our lives, we kind of seem weak in comparison, right? Yeah, it's like we become saved, Jesus comes into our heart and we become a new creation, kind of. We see some things that have changed but there's some things that just kind of hang on. There's The old has gone, but some of the old just keeps hanging on. And we can't get rid of that old. We, there's some struggles that just keep we just keep struggling with. And we assume, well, you know what? That's the reality for everyone. And I'm just going to have to wait till I get to heaven before I am completely made new. And I am completely holy. That's not what the Bible teaches. It just, it's not. Jesus did not say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, when you get to heaven. He did not say, love your neighbor as yourself, when you get to heaven. He gave us those commands now because he knows that the Spirit can affect that change in us now. Paul, he wrote, I have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether naked or clothed, whether living in plenty or in want. 
In all things, I have learned to be content. And I can do this through Christ who gives me strength. He wrote that not in heaven, but in a prison cell. That kind of contentment and peace and joy and love is available to us now. And the reason that we don't always feel it is not because it's not possible. It's because we believe lies. And there are still some demonic strongholds in our minds. And until those strongholds are removed, the Holy Spirit is not going to have victory in that area of our mind. So I ask you again, what lies have you believed? What lies have you believed? Any label or limitation that you accept that God does not give you is a lie. You know, I don't care if it's a label your mama gave you or a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or teacher or a doctor or even a personality profile. All of those things can be sources of truth, but they can be sources of lies too. What limitations have you accepted that God does not put on you? Limitations on your joy or peace. We live in a world that expects us to always be busy and to always have something wrong in our lives to complain about. What lies have you believed about God and his intentions toward you? Or his trustworthiness? What lies have you believed about others? These things are preventing you from having victory in your life. So, I'm going to end with a prayer pretty soon, but I'm going to give you three words that will teach you how to put on the belt of truth, okay? Three words. Reveal, repent, replace. Can you say those with me? Reveal, repent, replace. The first thing we must do is ask God to reveal to us what the lies are. Deceptions are not easy to spot, especially for us. In your notes on the flip side is a sample of a prayer. Maybe it will work well for you. Maybe you want to write your own. There's one there, and it starts with, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to reveal and remove any lies I have believed. That's the first step. Ask God to reveal what the lies are. The second step is to repent of them. Let's not make excuses for why we've been deceived. If we really wanted to know the truth, we could. The second step is to repent. Forgive me for believing the lies instead of you. And then the third step is to replace the lies with God's truth. God, replace the lies with your truth, for you are God, completely good, trustworthy, and faithful. The rest of that prayer written in your notes are all promises based on God's truth in his word. And that's what you need to know. It's not just enough to identify what the lie is. You must replace it with God's truth, with the belt of truth. 
and you have to start memorizing, reading, praying those scriptures that reveal what God's truth is for your situation. And if you don't know, ask. You know, Google it. (laughs) Ask a good Christian. (laughs) One of my favorite sources is Open Bible. Um, I go, uh, like, what does God say about forgiveness or whatever? And then you'll see a link to Open Bible, and it will list all these verses on forgiveness, and people can vote on which ones are most helpful. It helps. But ask mature questions, you know, Christians around you, too. Look in the back of your Bible and your index, subject index. It's so easy to find what God's truth is if you really want to know. But that's how we put on the belts of truth. And we number one, we ask God to reveal the lies to us. Number two, we repent of them. And number three, we replace them with God's truth. That's how you buckle up, okay? If you remember that, then I've done my job. Reveal, repent, replace. All right. All right, why don't you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are trustworthy. The word says that there is no darkness, no deceit in you. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You are the source of truth, and you are good. You are love. And I thank you that you do not leave us alone to fall into the enemy's trap of deception and lies. God, I thank you that you shine. You willingly and generously shine your light upon us. Your word says that if anyone lacks wisdom, we can ask of you and you will generously give to all without finding fault. And so God, we come before you and we ask you now to reveal to us what are the lies that we have believed. What are those strongholds in our minds? Reveal them to us. Humble us, God, and give us courage because sometimes we've had those strongholds in our minds so long, it is scary to think about living without them. And so we ask you for courage, too. Holy Spirit, reveal to us what the lies are. Give us courage. Help us to believe that you truly do want to set us free. Heavenly Father, I pray that you forgive me. For the times that I've called you a liar. For when I've doubted and worried about my future even though your word says that you have good plans for me plans to prosper me and not to harm me forgive me for that forgive us for the other lies we have believed Heavenly Father replace the lies with your truth Show us the scriptures. Show us the truth. Speak to us from your word. Speak to us from the Christian radio. Speak to us through other Christians. God, speak to us what your truth is and replace the lies with your truth. Because the one that 
the sun sets free is free indeed. The one the sun sets free is free indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We thank you for this promise and we claim it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.